Welcome to part two of this week's podcast. It's interesting, uh, as they start to go out to recruit, in fact, that's what verses 29, 30, then over verse 37, 38, 39, 40, the Lord puts them in companionships of recruiting companionships. There's eight, eight men that are going to go out and recruit people for this, uh, for this uh, expedition. They'll call it the Camp of Israel. Later on, we call it Zion's Camp, but uh, they originally called it the Camp of Israel. And uh, in their recruiting, uh, they came across one Wilford Woodruff. Uh, he was already a member of the church, but he was being recruited to, to join this expedition. And I want to just share a thought from Wilford Woodruff. He said this. He said that as he was sort of settling his, his uh, business affairs and preparing to, to join the camp of Israel, some of his friends and neighbors warned him not to, go, not, not to undertake such a hazardous journey. They, they said, do not go. If you do, you will lose your life. And that's the exact phrase that the Lord just said here, right? Lose your life for my sake, or lay down, lay down your life. Uh, here's how Wilford Woodruff replied. He said, quote, If I knew that I should have a ball put through my heart the first step I took in the state of Missouri, I would go. <laughs> that's... That's that's discipleship yeah. right there. The Lord says, uh, you, you know that Wilford is a disciple, verse 28, for, uh, according to those standards. And so uh, I, I like that story to tell in verse 27, 28. And Wilford had just joined the church December 31st, 1833. Uh, and here, this is just a couple months later. And find out how old was he, Hank? Because in, in that movie, Mountain of the Lord, he looks pretty young. Wilford Woodruff was baptized December 31st, 1833. He's just 26, 27 years old and a new convert of, what, four or five months. Uh, and he's ready to put his life on the line there. The Lord says, you want to know what discipleship looks like? That's what it looks like. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Wilford Woodruff. So, yeah. I wonder if he ever amounts to anything uh, yeah. in the church. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> Um, What's going to happen to that guy? Yeah. Yeah. That'd be an interesting story to follow. Uh, Maybe (laughs) pick up that thread. Uh, Now, the Lord says uh, in terms of numbers, he would prefer 500, he says in verse 30. Um, And if you can't do 500, then uh, 300. If you can't do 300, then 100. And if you can't do 100, don't go. (laughs) He says at least least 100, but... uh, 500 would be awesome, right? That, that would be my, my recommendation. And so uh, they go out recruiting. So 205 men, 10 women, and like six children. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be what they're, they ultimately get. They're going to leave. So uh, Hiram Smith and, and, uh, and his group, they go up actually to Michigan to recruit up there. Uh, they get about 20 people. And Joseph Smith and those in the Kirtland area get about 85. And then they start marching together to meet. They'll meet together in Missouri on June 8th. So they're, so they're recruiting kind of all along the way until they've, the, the, the biggest it gets then is, yeah, 205 men, 10 women, and six children. And so now if you want, if you want a verse to cross stitch and put on your wall, uh, you want a little <laughs> handout to give to the youth. Uh, <laughs> Verse thirty six is just so good. Yeah, yeah, John, you want to you want to read it? You want to tell oh, us what it's, your thoughts are? It's marked. Yeah, um, all victory and glory is brought to pass unto you through your diligence, faithfulness, and prayers of faith. 
That's a good cross stitch, yeah. That is a good cross yeah. stitch. Although yeah, that's there's, how there's people win. listening saying, what's cross stitch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I love this, the image of Joseph Smith standing up in the meeting saying, I'm going to Zion. Is it a good idea? <laughs> They're like, It is yes. a good idea. Who Who's will go with me? me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be, funny to, 40... it'd be funny to vote. Yes, it's a good idea. Will you go? Whoa. Uh, <laughs> <well>. <laughs> I, I have bought some land. I have bought some oxen and have to prove them. Uh, I have married a wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might die, verse 27 and 28 yeah. say. Yeah, you could, you could die. Who's still with me? And by the way, that, and that's amazing, right, that they have 200 and how many does that add up to? 215 plus 6, what, 221? 21 people. 221 people that are willing to lay down their lives uh, for... The gospel's sake. Oh, for, for Zion's sake in this, in this instance. Right. Wow. So this section 104, uh, yeah, it kind of fits in the context here because the issue is what to do about the United Firm. The United Firm, uh, some of your listeners may recall, section 78 commanded its creation. Section 82 is the day that it happened in Missouri. It was the uniting of the uh, Kirtland leaders and the Missouri leaders in a united financial group that would oversee uh, the printing of church publications, uh, holding church properties in trust, assisting the poor. It's basically the, like the, the first corporate management system of the uh, financial corporate management of the church, right? Uh, we're talking about primarily three places. We're talking about the Sidney Gilbert and Whitney store in Missouri. It was a, a dry goods store, a mercantile shop. And then we have the W.W. Phelps and Company's print shop in Missouri also. That was the literary firm that produced scripture. And then the third uh, major player was back in Kirtland, which was the Newell K. Whitney Mercantile Store. And uh, they, they were moneymakers for the church. Well, what happens when a mob destroys the printing press in Missouri and the dry goods store in Missouri uh, what kind of a united firm do you have left when the you only have uh, one one you just got the the Kirtland store right and so they actually got together on April 10th they the united firm uh, those that could meet and they voted we dissolve the firm uh, it's only it's two years old by this point right and uh, and so section 104 is the Lord basically ratifying that decision. That's a good idea. Uh, on uh, the 23rd of April, so this is now, right? They, they met on the 10th. Now on the 23rd, the Lord is ratifying and saying, uh, let, me, let me tell you how I feel about that. He takes this opportunity to teach, and he says, now, <clears throat> the reason why an adjustment to the firm needs to take place is because, here he goes, this was intended, verse 1, to be an, an everlasting firm, Every time you see the word order in this section, just you can just cross that out and write the word firm. That was just a pseudonym put in later uh, to disguise the fact that this was anything about finances so the enemies of the church who wanted to litigate wouldn't, wouldn't know to come after that so thing. United so, firm, united order, same thing. Uh, he says, this was meant to be an everlasting order with a promise, verse 2, immutable and unchangeable that as long as you were faithful, you would receive a multiplicity of blessings. But if not faithful, then they were nigh unto cursing. He says, but in as much, verse 3, but in as much as they were not faithful, they were not nigh unto cursing. Therefore, in as much as some of my servants, you know who you are, 
it was it was Sidney Gilbert <laughs> and it was W.W. Phelps. Have not kept the commandment, but have broken the covenant through covetousness and with feigned words. I have cursed them with a very sore and grievous curse. And I have decreed in my heart that inasmuch as any man belonging to the order shall be found a transgressor or breaks the covenant, that he will be cursed in his life and uh, will be trodden down. This is pretty strong language. I, the Lord, am not to be mocked in these things. The Lord is as merciful as the day is long. But when he's dealing with uh, covenant breakers who are consistently repeated offenders here, this is what he's, he's t- who he's talking to here. Um, let, me, let me give you some context on what he means by uh, covetousness and feigned words. I actually have a little excerpt from uh, a letter that uh, uh, on the 14th of January, 1833, uh, not quite a year earlier, uh, Kirtland leaders wrote this letter to Edward Partridge about a letter that I don't, we, don't, we don't have a copy of, as far as I know, that Sidney, Sidney Gilbert had written them uh, in December. I guess, I guess it was pretty, pretty snarky. Uh, he said things, he said things, uh, this is the words we have. It says, <clears throat> brother Sidney Gilbert's letter of December 10th has been received and read attentively and the low, dark and blind insinuations, which were in it were not received by us as from the fountain of light, though his claims and pretensions to holiness were great. We are not unwilling to be chastened or rebuked for our faults, but we just want to receive it in language we can understand. Like Nathan said today, but thou art the man, just tell us what you have against us. No insinuations and dark, you know, uh, sort of, you know, innuendo here. He said, they said, we are aware that brother Gilbert is doing much and a multitude of business on hand, but, but let him purge out the old leaven and do his business in the spirit of the Lord and the Lord will bless him. Otherwise the frown of the Lord will remain upon him. And then they say this. There is manifestly an uneasiness in Brother Gilbert and a fearfulness that God will not provide for his saints in their last days, and these fears lead him on to covetousness. This ought not so to be, but let him do just as the Lord has commanded him, and then the Lord will open his coffers, and his wants will be liberally supplied. But if this uneasy covetous disposition be cherished by him, the Lord will bring him to poverty, shame, and disgrace. Wow, that's a that's a rebuke. Uh, uneasy, and, uneasy covetousness disposition. Yeah, you don't want one of those. And yeah. that letter that is a response to a letter from Sidney Gilbert, and and who wrote that letter? So this was written. It says from Kirtland Church leaders to Edward Partridge, uh, who was the leader over in Missouri, and they're the just saying, "Listen, letter, yeah, yeah." Yeah, the letter we got from Sidney Gilbert was not, uh, that was not becoming of a member of the United Firm. That's not how it should go, right? So covetousness and feigned words. Uh, Phelps had also said things like, well, what are you going to do with my press and my printing stuff? And Joseph Smith's like, ooh, my, my stuff? Whose press is that? Well, uh, William, uh, yeah. It, is it not the Lord's press? What, how did you How did you come to have that press, right? Uh, careful, careful that you don't forget that this is because of the consecration of the saints. Yeah. And so you, you can see, so human nature is just getting woven in here. And, and the Lord is saying, you want to know why the United Firm needs to be dissolved? Well, it's because that kind of stuff has crept in. 
what lessons might there be, f- uh, you know, for us as we think about uh, covenant breaking? The Lord is serious, especially when it's repeated. You've been warned again and again by leaders. This is over a year earlier. They're warning him to repent of this kind of thing, and he clearly did not. And uh, and so the Lord's uh, stepping it up a little bit in intensity here, isn't he? I think this is a good. It's a good gut check for all of us, right? Uh, watch out for those that that covetous disposition. Um, that can, that can just ruin things in, in your life. And the other part of this, Scott, that I'm hearing is I kind of like that these men were very human, uh, and that they said, they said things sometimes they shouldn't have said. I'm I'm hoping Sidney Gilbert, uh, repents here and, and comes around, but yeah, he, he reminds them of, of how this system is supposed to work versus 11 through 18, uh, remind us they outline the principles that should undergird or that do undergird the Lord's system of stewardship that we should remember. Uh, for for instance, just we could highlight quickly uh, verse fourteen that remember that all things in the earth that God built are mine. He says it is my purpose to provide for my saints. He repeats it again: for all things are mine. It must needs be done in mine own way, and behold, this is the way that I, the Lord, have decreed to provide for my saints, that the poor shall be exalted, and that the rich are made low. Uh, The Lord invites those who've been blessed with abundance to help the poor rise and thrive, and it's without compulsion. And when the the rich withhold their their goods, uh, Zion suffers. And the Lord is going to talk more about that uh, as we go on in in section 105. But... uh, that's all along the way. It's covetousness. It's selfishness. It's thinking me, my, me, my, me, my. And the Lord's saying, remember, it's it's mine and you are a steward. You are a steward. You are a steward. Uh, nevertheless, verse 17, <clears throat> the, the earth is full and there is enough and to spare. Yea, I prepared all things and have given unto the children of men to be agents unto themselves. Therefore, if a man shall take of the abundance which I have made, and impart not his portion according to the law of my gospel unto the poor and the needy, he shall with the wicked lift up his eyes in hell, being in torment. You can totally choose what you want to do with the abundance I have given you, but listen, right? Uh, this is my way. If you are my covenant people, I am asking you to give of your abundance what you got from me to help the uh, help bring up, help exalt the poor, uh, help build Zion and. Uh, and that, that seems like that lesson just has not sunk in and has not sunk in and has not sunk in. That's caused problems in Missouri in their expulsion. And now it's causing the, the end of the United Firm uh, is what's wow. happening here. That's a, I think that, that end of verse 18, that's a direct reference to the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, right? And he just, he, he, he just wouldn't even give Lazarus a crumb off his table, right? Lazarus just wanted the crumbs from the table. And he said, no, I'm not going to give it to you. And uh, it's a, it's a fantastic parable. And this seems to be a lesson you're right, Scott. He's saying over and over again, selfishness will destroy Zion. Yeah. It hasn't sunk in yet. Apparently it's hard to, to not, not to read this and point fingers at ourselves. I mean, that's a good application of this. Am I like this? Uh, cause I, I always look at them and think they had uh, less than we do now. Um, hmm. It's easy also, John, to look at people who have more than me and say, yeah, they should be giving, right? <laughs> I hope I hope so-and-so reads this verse. Uh, <laughs> you know right? who really needs this verse, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, not me, of I, course, but not that me. guy yeah, down the I, street, yeah. 
Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm doing great. So we don't want to go through all of uh, 104 in, I think, all the details. Just, let me summarize a few things. And then if listeners want to dig deeper, uh, I think they should. Uh, verses 19 through 46 is like kind of one big section where the Lord says, listen, here's what we're going to do. We're going to distribute the, the Kirtland properties that were sort of managed by the United Firm as personal stewardships to members of the firm in Kirtland. And he, and he goes through each person in the firm and he says, this is your stewardship. This is your stewardship. And if you, if you do well and you, you, uh, you, uh, let's see, he repeats over and over again. He says, this, this will be your stewardship under which you shall be appointed unto them. And inasmuch as they are faithful, I will bless and multiply blessings upon them. He says that over and over after each stewardship, you be faithful and you're going to get blessed abundantly. I'm seeing the names here, Scott, Sidney Rigdon, verse 20, Martin Harris, John Johnson, Frederick Williams, Oliver Cowdery, 28. Uh, is that new? Okay. Whitney 39. So he's just distributing out what is left yep. to the individual left. That's right. And this is going to be your stewardship. Uh, it's in your own personal name, but, uh, remembers who remember whose it is. Remember whose it is. Yeah. So he's giving them back things like the property you live on, like new K Whitney verse 39. I appoint unto you the house and the lot where he now resides. Uh, that's now your stewardship, uh, the place you already lived uh, or you're living and also your store and things that he was already uh, interested in, right? And already had some stewardship over, but this is now just officially dissolving the ties with Missouri. I, I wouldn't be uh, I wouldn't be a good friend to my friend uh, Juliet Sorensen who's serving in Kirtland if I didn't point out the Ashery in verse thirty nine. If you go on a tour to if you go on a tour to Old Kirtland, you can see the Ashery, and it made them quite a bit of money. Uh, it was one of the the few things, few business ventures that actually was profitable for them. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, Juliet, that one is for you. That's so cool, <laughs> and that's how my children pronounced their oldest sister's name for a long time, Ashley. They pronounced Ashery for a Ashery. long time. Ashery. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm glad that that's a nice little tie in there, John. Yeah, if you've been to Kirtland, that's fun to tour that. And they they made soap there, right, Hank? Yeah, they made the potash. Uh, which potash. they could sell. Yeah, yeah the potash. Yeah. potash. Potash. Yeah, so then verse 47 through 53 is where the Lord officially dissolves the united firm. Uh, look at verse 53. He says, well, sadly, verse 52, the covenants being broken through transgression by covetousness and feigned words, therefore you are dissolved as a united order. Wow. Uh, Verse 48, uh, he says, let's have a united order of or united firm of the stake of Zion and Kirtland. And then let's have a total separate one called the United Firm of the City of Zion. So that, that ends right there, the joint uh, association of the firm. Uh, <clears throat> verses 54 to 59, just reviews again some of the principles and purposes for their stewardships. Uh, my favorite is in 58, 59. This is kind of a cool perspective about scripture. Look at this. If you want to know how the Lord feels about printing scripture and why he thinks that it's worth the funds that it takes to print scripture. Listen to what he says here. He says that the uh, in verse 58, he's talking about printing my words, the fullness of my scriptures, the revelations of the doctrine and covenants we've been talking about. He says, verse 59, here's why. For the purpose of building up my church and the kingdom on the earth and to prepare my people for the time when I shall dwell with them, which is nigh at hand. 
uh, I don't know how often I think about scriptures as the instruments that God has given us to help prepare for his second coming, the, the instruments God has given us to build the church and the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, it, it, it is a one-by-one thing that the scriptures do, all right, within our own hearts, helping us become pure. Uh, but then there's also this aggregate thing happening as the as the leaven of the scriptures uh, continues to influence us. Uh, it's it's preparing for Jesus to return, and Jesus thinks that's worth the investment uh, to to get scriptures out to people, uh, and that's awesome. Yeah, that is beautiful, and and the the amount of scripture we print today. Uh, oh man, yeah, yeah. is is just uh, astronomical. Can you imagine showing these these men, these people of Jill Smith's time, the the hundreds of millions of copies of the Book of Mormon that have been printed. In 120 languages that were, right. or whatever it is, you know. That we're and now we're giving them today. out for free. We're giving them out for free yeah. to anyone who wants a copy. That speaks to the consecration of of enough saints today that we're seeing the the impact when you consecrate. Look how God can build Zion through the consecration of the many members. I mean, it's it's phenomenal what's happening today. Yeah. Verses 60 to 77 command uh, the establishment of two treasuries, one for printing scripture specifically and one treasury for all other proceeds from their stewardships, the different farms or the the Newell K. Whitney store, etc. And then verses 78 through 86 uh, gives counsel on how to get out of debt. That uh, instruction to pay all your debts reminded me of section 19 when... uh, Martin Harris was told, pay the debt thou hast contracted with the printer, release thyself from bondage. And it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, Scott, I've heard you share something before about, about debt that from, uh, from uh, profits more in our time uh, that I thought would be helpful for our listeners. Uh, so, yeah, let's get some perspective on, on debt. Not all of it is, you know, you got to get rid of it all right now. For instance, uh, Elder Joseph B. Worthlin, he said that some debt, such as for a modest home, Expenses for education, perhaps for a needed first car, may be necessary, right? Uh, President Hinckley said that in the financial operations of the church, we've observed two basic and fixed principles. President Hinckley said, one, the church will live within its means. It will not spend more than it receives. Two, a fixed percentage of the income will be set aside to build reserves against what might be called a possible rainy day. For years, the church has taught its membership the principle of setting aside a reserve of food as well as, as well as money to take care of emergency needs that might arise. And we are only trying to follow the same principle for the church as a whole. Uh, so, yeah, you might need some, some, some debt to, uh, to begin with. And, and uh, this particular scenario that the Lord's talking about with them uh, is, is different than I think uh, most of us are going to find ourselves in. But... Uh, but I think the general principle does apply. Let's let's live within our means. Let's pay off our debts uh, when that makes sense, and we can do that um, right without uh, harming our families. And uh, follow the the overall the example of the church in in living within our means and setting aside some some savings for a rainy day. So uh, Scott, I noticed that section one hundred four is received in April. Section one hundred five is received in June, and I'm guessing a lot happens between April and June. So can you tell us what happens? <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I don't know if you can hear if my microphone just caught when you said that there was a, a thunderclap uh, that outside. just that just happened outside my window right here. There's 
there's rain on the window and the thunder. And I think that's perfect to talk about section 105. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, let me give you the, the timeline here. On the 5th of May, they've done the majority of their recruiting at home and up in Michigan. And Zion Camp leaves Kirtland. They're on their way to Missouri to go help the saints, right? Uh, who were displaced to get back uh, to the lands that they rightfully own. And, uh, this is America, right? We should, and, and the governor, Governor Dunklin's like, I mean, there is no way anyone can argue that's not your property. You have every right to it, uh, and 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 I will help you. Uh, the, the militia, uh, the state militia, meet you, and we'll we'll help your people get in there. <clears throat> so they're going to march from May fifth to June twenty second, and uh, it's just, this is going to be a long march. This is going to be uh, almost nine hundred miles. I think it's eight hundred and eighty. And they're not very well prepared in terms of food and rations. There's going to be a lot of hot days, a lot of blistered feet, a lot of hungry people, a lot of dehydration, a lot of rancid food. And uh, this is going to test the, the metal of the people. It's going to test Joseph, the prophet. Uh, uh, George A. Smith, Joseph's cousin, he was a teenager on this camp, and he said that... Uh, that uh, when, when Heber C. Kimball invited Joseph to ride in the wagon, you know, because he's the prophet, come ride in the wagon with me, Joseph would say, no, thank you. And he would walk along, you know, 20 to 40 miles a day uh, along with everybody else. And he had blistered feet along with everybody else. And he was eating the food and drinking the, the water and, and uh, experiencing the, the low rations. And I think this, this is going to, this is testing everybody. It's testing their patience. It's testing their resolve. It's testing some of their faith in Joseph Smith, the prophet. Um, William E. McClellan will one day, when he, when he apostatized, he'll be one of the original 12 apostles who will leave the church. He's going to cite one of the reasons he left the church was because uh, he didn't believe that the, our Lord was a man of war. And that when Joseph did this Zion's camp expedition, that was evidence that he was a fallen prophet because he was being warlike, you know, and so people are going to have some assumptions. They're going to be violated as they're watching this unfold. And, and yet at the very same time, some people are going to have their faith deeply, richly strengthened, and they're going to come out of this, uh, polished and, and ready, uh, for the Lord's, for the Lord's work to take on the next level of responsibility. So this is the 18th of June. Let me tell you a story about lightning and thunder. This is awesome. <laughs> so, um, on the 18th of June, so Zion's camp arrived within a mile of Richmond, which was the, the county seat of Ray County, which is near Jackson County. And uh, as the army is, is camping there, uh, the prophet had a premonition of danger. He went into the woods, prayed for safety, and was assured that the Lord would protect them. He then had the camp roused in the early morning hours, and they left without prayers or breakfast. And as they marched through Richmond, uh, a slave woman said to them, there's a company of men lying in wait here who are calculated to kill you this morning as you pass through, which would be creepy, right? But as they passed through, as they passed through, nothing happened. Instead of reaching their intended destination of liberty, they camped just inside Clay County that night, kind of alert, right, on, on, on the lookout. There had been stories circulating in Jackson County and the counties nearby that the Mormons were coming with like 2,000 men. They were going to come and wipe them out. And they were saying that not even a woman... Uh, oh no! That the women, no, that the men were going to be killed, and the women were going to be made their slaves, and all kinds of stuff that, like, they're not saying right, but they're just these inflammatory stories. But people are getting whipped up into a frenzy, like, we're gonna, we're not gonna let that happen, are we? And like, no, you know. And so they're they're ready to like take the Mormons on, right? Well, meanwhile, 
Uh, Joseph's fears are confirmed uh, that something something's up when five armed Missourians ride into camp cursing and swearing, and they said, the Mormons are going to see hell before morning. <clears throat> can I say that on the podcast? Is yeah, okay? you can that say, was, yeah, it's a That was quote. a quote. That was a quote. <laughs> <laughs> they, they boasted that nearly 400 men had joined forces from Ray and Lafayette and Clay and Jackson counties, and they were then preparing to cross the Missouri River at Williams Ferry and utterly destroy the Mormons. Sounds of gunfire were heard off in the distance, and some of the men wanted to fight. Some of Joseph's, some of the camp of Israel were like, let's do it. This is why we came, right? Uh, and, but the prophet, he promised that the Lord would protect him. He declared, I love this, he says, stand still and see the salvation of God. A few minutes after the Missourians left, a small little black cloud appeared in the clear western sky. It moved eastward, unrolled like a scroll, and filled the heavens with darkness. As the first ferry load of mobbers started crossing the Missouri River to the south, a sudden storm made it nearly impossible for the boat to return to pick up another load. The storm was so intense, the record says, that Zion's camp, they abandoned their tents, they find shelter in an old Baptist meeting house, and, uh, and, and Joseph, he exclaims, boys, there is some meaning to this. God is in this storm. Uh, it was impossible for anyone to sleep, so they sang hymns, just pouring like crazy. Uh, they're singing in the, this old Baptist church, and uh, all outside, is, he says, During this time, the whole canopy of the wide horizon was in one complete blaze with terrifying claps of thunder. And the mobbers were scrambling to find refuge, right? And this, this, this storm broke branches from trees, destroyed crops. It soaked and made all the mobbers' ammunition useless. It frightened and scattered their horses, raised the level of the river that they were trying to afford to come and take out, take out the Mormons uh, almost 40 feet in like a half hour. In almost, like a half, it just boop, and, uh, and it prevented them from attacking Zion's camp. Uh, the prophet recalled in his history, says, it, it seemed as if the mandate of vengeance had gone forth from the God of battles to protect his servants from the destruction of their enemies. Uh, my favorite is two days later, uh, a colonel sconce from the, the uh, enemy's army uh, rides into Zion's camp to learn about the Mormons' intentions. And he says to Joseph, after that storm, he said, I see that there is an almighty power that protects this people. <laughs> uh, and uh, the prophet then explains that the only purpose of Zion's camp was just to help our brethren be reinstated in their lands. We don't have any ill intentions. We don't intend to hurt anybody. And and the evil reports that are circulating about us are false. And, and they're, they're trying to get people whipped up to come against us to destroy us. But uh, after hearing that, Sconce and his companions were so affected by the stories of the unjust trials and suffering of the saints they actually then promised to use their influence to offset the feelings against the Mormons, which is so. That's that's the day before uh, the twenty second, which is you'll notice in the in this chapter or the section heading, June twenty second is when this revelation is received. So, what happens that causes uh, the revelation uh, to come about? Well, they get some bad news. They get bad news that uh, uh, Governor Daniel Dunklin has reneged on his. Uh, agreement to support uh, the army to bring out any of the of his militia to help escort the the scattered saints back home to their property, and that's that's devastating news, right? Because now it's just them, two hundred of them, two hundred and twenty one, uh, and there's 
sounds like hundreds of others on the other on the opposite uh, the opposing side and and uh, so this is a great disappointment that the governor has withdrawn his promise to support the saints and it was in the midst of that that it was counseled together what should we do and uh, joseph inquires of the lord and section 105 is the result so that's the backstory any any reason why that happens maybe just po- political maneuvering yeah, the reason that happens, uh, according to something I was reading on Joseph Smith papers about this recently, it said that uh, that Governor Dunklin uh, saw the writing on the wall. He saw that people in 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 uh, Jackson County and Ray County, they were a little fanatical. They were they were they were crazy. They they had convinced themselves of the stories that they'd heard about about the saints, and they were uh, they were kind of thirsty for blood. And Governor Dunklin felt like if we do this, uh, this is going to lead to a bloodbath. Yeah, this is going to lead to a, a civil war right here in Missouri. This is not going to be a, a, a peaceable experience. And so I think he his judgment was uh, this is not the time uh, for anyone to be walking into Jackson County with guns, even the state militia with uh, as long as the members of the church are there, uh, that's, that's going to be provocative right and so i think his his thought was let's let's forestall violence uh, in all fairness to governor dunklin he doesn't seem to be a flake he seems to be a uh, a concerned governor yeah but now they're there so now what do they do they've, they've walked 880 miles they they go up uh north about i can't remember it was 10 or 20 miles to a member of the church's farm there near fishing river and uh and section 105 is uh, is received there. So, yeah. So now they. Uh, so now Joseph is asking the Lord, "What do we do now?" And uh, section 105 is the response. So, verses one through fifteen, uh, it gives the Lord's first reason why Zion is not going to be redeemed right now. And then uh, verses 16 and 17 give the second. So let's look at verses 1 through 15. The first reason the Lord says that Zion is not going to be redeemed right now is because, verse 2, here it is again, Behold, I say unto you, were it not for the transgressions of my people, speaking concerning the church and not individuals, they might have been redeemed even now. What does that mean? Speaking concerning the church and not individuals. That's that's fascinating. there's a, there's a phrase uh, I want to use, the, the phrase corporate blessings. Would that make sense? Corporate blessings require corporate obedience, meaning if God's going to bless an entire people, it's going to take the unified, cooperative effort and obedience of the entire, the people. entire people. Yeah, a few people can mess it up, right? I don't know what the exact critical mass is to mess up uh, the, <laughs> the, the thing. Corporate blessings. The corporate blessing, but... Uh, but whatever that threshold is, they've crossed it. And the Lord said, I'm not talking about any particular person. I'm talking about a collect collectively. So the Lord is the Lord is saying here that you still haven't learned lesson number one, which is to learn to impart of your substance as becometh saints. Uh, and then he, surprisingly, he says, I'm not just talking about Missouri. This is interesting. Look at this. In verse, uh, let's see, verse seven, I speak not concerning uh, those who are appointed to lead my people, uh, who are the first elders of my church, for they are not all under my condemnation. But I'm, I'm speaking concerning my churches abroad, uh, those outside of Missouri as well. 
and not just those in Kirtland, but those who are kind of scattered out in little branches. He says, there are many who will say, where's their God? Behold, he will deliver them in the time of trouble. And otherwise, uh, we will not go up to Zion and we will keep our monies. People are kind of waiting for God to like deliver them to decide whether or not they're going to truly consecrate, right? Once we see that the Zion project is fully underway, then we'll contribute our monies. The Lord's saying, that is backwards. That's actually hindering the cause. Therefore, he says, in consequence of the transgressions of my people, it is expedient in me that mine elders should wait for a little season for the redemption of Zion. So this is a corporate, like beyond Missouri corporate. We're talking the whole church. He's asked them time and time again, section 101 most recently, to give of their monies, to help purchase lands in Zion, uh, and that in, in combination with Zion's camp uh, would, would help bring about the redemption of Zion. But uh, the money didn't come, and we only got uh, some, some volunteers. And that's, that's reason number two, he says in verse 16. He says, uh, I commanded my servant Joseph Smith to say unto the strength of my house, even my warriors, my young men, my middle-aged men, to gather together for the redemption of my people, to throw down the towers of my enemies and scatter their watchmen. But the strength of my house have not hearkened unto my words. Well, I only got, I only got uh, 221. That's not enough. That's not enough. So, okay, so two reasons Zion is not going to be redeemed right now. The various branches of the church, number one, have not learned to consecrate their money as I asked them to do. And Zion can't be redeemed until the body of saints as a whole, as a whole, learn to impart of their substance. And then problem number two, there wasn't a sufficient number of young and middle-aged men who responded to the call to come to redeem Zion as I asked them to do. He doesn't even mention Governor Dunklin at all, which is interesting, uh, but uh, uh, that was the impetus that got them to ask the question, but uh, the Lord doesn't even mention him in any way here. So, Scott, so I'm hearing no consecration, no unity. There's no consecration and there's no unity. And Zion can't be built without consecration and without yeah. unity. I think that's almost the definition, right? Consecrated, united people. and Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and they've yeah. got neither. Um, and you, can't, the, you can't get Zion blessings without being Zion people. Yeah. You can't get Zion blessings without living the law of Zion. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. So he's it's almost as if listen, the the Zion is waiting for you. It's ready. You're I'm I'm ready when you are. Ready when you're ready to be a Zion people. Zion is ready to be built. But for now, we don't have enough people who are in, right? It's an important discussion because we can always talk about, yeah, we were persecuted and this happened to us and this happened to us, but what is the Lord actually saying? I think that's a, uh, I like the way you put that, Scott. Here, here are the reasons and they were internal. They, they, were, they were us uh, speak, saying us as if I'm a member of the church with them back then, but um, we brought some of this upon ourselves. And it's the same thing today. I would, wouldn't you think it's the same thing today, both of you? Uh, Zion is waiting for us as a church, uh, ready for us to be united and consecrated people, and it'll happen. Now, what does that look like in, in, in 2021? And, and what corporate blessings will require corporate obedience and consecration? I mean, the Lord says that, uh, yeah, basically he's ready when we are uh, for whatever that will look like in yeah. our day. And we, what we need is a people who are willing to put all the chips in no matter what. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm in. Right. I'm, I'm here with you. 
I mean, listen to section, just to jump back to section 101, verse 75. Listen to what the Lord said back in December. He said, quote, There is even now already in store sufficient, yea, even an abundance to redeem Zion and establish her waste places, no more to be thrown down. Were the churches who call themselves after my name willing to hearken to my voice? Yikes. Right. So there's, uh, there's, there's enough there. The Lord keeps saying, and, uh, he's, he's not, he's not giving up on Zion, but he's telling them here that, uh, uh, yeah, like you said, John, it's, it's, it's internal and, uh, they, they got some work to do. In fact, that's the solution. The solution, he actually gives a solution here and he gives two solutions. So there's two problems and there's two solutions. Uh, solution number one is in verse nine and 10. Uh, the Lord says, uh, I'll just summarize these solutions as education and an endowment. Those are the two solutions. So verse 9 and 10 talk about education. The Lord says that both the elders and my people uh, need to be taught more perfectly and have experience and know more perfectly concerning their duty and the things which I require at their hands. I love how patient he is here. You know, he is exacting. Can we say that about God? He's exacting. He does require obedience. Uh, but he says, listen, I, let's take as long as you need. You need more time to learn, uh, to have experience, and to, to, to learn more perfectly what I'm asking you to do to, about your duty and the things I'm requiring of you. Uh, my, one of my favorite uh, thoughts from, from Brad Wilcox, he gave a talk once and he said, he said, you know how in the sacrament, you know, uh, when, have you ever heard a priest like mess up the prayer? You know, and uh, of course, everyone can nod their head. Is, have you ever heard a priest messed up over and over again? And it starts to get awkward and uncomfortable in the congregation, you know? And each time the bishop leans over, kind of shakes his head and says, one more time, you know? Uh, he, <laughs> Brad said, he said, there, there isn't some secret switch that a bishop can 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 flip that opens a trap door underneath the priest and, and sucks illiterate priests down into the dungeon uh, until they can get those prayers right, right? He said... The Lord does want that prayer said exactly, but you can take as many tries as it takes to get it right. Uh, sometimes you just need to practice until you get it right, right? Uh, and I, I love that thought. I, I love the image of God that that portrays, that he is exacting, but he's also patient and uh, and merciful. And so I, I, that's what I see in verses 9 and 10 is you, you got to do some more learning Apparently, there's there's more you need to know more perfectly about your duty and the things I'm asking of you, and let and let's take as much time as you need on that. Uh, and then uh, for this to happen, he says in verse 11 and 12, uh, and he mentions again in verse 18 and 33, he talks about an endowment. Uh, he says this cannot be brought to pass this full educational experience, this reorienting of your hearts and minds, uh, until mine elders are endowed with power from on high. For behold, I have prepared a great endowment and a blessing to be poured out upon them, inasmuch as they are faithful and continue in humility before me. And then we, he actually tells him in verse 33, if you flip over, that that endowment is going to happen, he says, in the, in the Kirtland temple. Uh, back in Kirtland, there is, a, there is an endowment on high that my elders need to receive. As in some, He's not super explicit here, but it seems somehow connected to this reorienting, re-education experience. And, and perhaps uh, they need they need the gift from God, this gift of power to help them be what he needs them to be, to live the laws he needs them to live, to bring about the 
Zion project, the kingdom of God that, that needs to be brought about in preparation for his coming. So these are all kind of connected together, right? If you go back to 101, wasn't that the parable? What does he need the tower for, right? What does he need the temple for? Well, I, I needed the temple so you could learn to be Zion. Uh, and so we're going to have to go do that somewhere else. Yeah, and if you can keep that in mind, that uh, a primary purpose of the temple is to make us Zion-like or kingdom-ready, ready for the king to come, ready to, you know, be, being as consecrated and as, you know, pure in heart and mind and uh, all the things that they're lacking here. <laughs> and that as we look inside our own souls, we see that we're we're often lacking. Uh, yeah, the, the the covenants of the temple and that. Uh, that's that's exactly what they're calculated to do. Now those won't come about till Nauvoo, what we're talking about here. But but Kirtland's going to be the beginning of those uh, of that kind of uh, purification of the heart. That's right. Right. What doesn't doesn't that what Isaiah says? Go to the mountain of the Lord. He will teach us of His ways. We will beat our swords into plows. Right. Am I getting this right? We will. Uh, our spears into pruning hooks. In my mind, he's saying, let's go to the temple so we can be taught and changed, right? We can be changed from a sword to a plow, right? A weapon of war to a weapon of feeding people. And it seems like that fits very well here. Don't you think, Scott, with the idea of the temple is what's going to change you into a Zion type people? A Zion person. Yeah, part of that, part of that education, that reorientation that they need. Uh, to, we're not, we're not doing things uh, the way of of the world, right? Uh, uh, and and it's it's hard to to un unlearn, right? You can hear Yoda saying, "You must unlearn what you have learned." I don't know, John. Can you do a good Yoda impersonation? Uh, or <laughs> I bet he could. is that in your repertoire? Do Yoda? I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get that's a great line. That was good. You must unlearn what you have learned, right? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite Yoda quotes. In fact, there's <laughs> that that line is almost an exact line from uh, from Levi Hancock, who was on the on Zion's camp. He said that the prophet Joseph taught that uh, taught those in Zion's camp that quote we had to unlearn what we had learned from the world. Uh, that was one of the things that. We, we, need to, we need to shed that. How long is it going to take for us to unlearn what we've learned from the world that keeps us from receiving the blessings of Zion? Uh, and the Lord's saying here, as long as it takes, right? You see the bishop leaning, looking over and just just shaking his head and saying, one more time, give it another try. Yeah, You'll you, get it. Yeah, you'll get it. Yeah. You, you'll get it. You'll get it. However, however many tries it takes, just... Uh, uh, keep, Early, keep earlier in the podcast, you said, this is the way. So you quoted the Mandalorian and there you just I mean, quoted Yoda. So, I mean, I don't so, know. Wow. There's something, there's something <laughs> there. I think this there's is some plagiarism there. going on. Uh, <laughs> this was written first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, this is humbling. I mean, thinking of, of Joseph himself walking, as you said, 30 or 40 miles in a day, not getting on a wagon. And, uh, I think I'd, I, I might be tempted to murmur blisters on your feet and everything. And then getting there, I mean, Zion's camp is just a, a fascinating story. And I appreciate the way you've explained the, the reasons, the solutions. This is really good, Scott. I'm reminded of, you know, President Benson's cleanse the inner vessel emphasis. Uh, worry about the outside things as much, but we got to start within. Yeah, and you, I think, John, you just, some of the listeners might want to grab onto that phrase. You just mentioned verse 14, 
where the Lord promises to fight your battles. He says, I don't, I don't require at their hands to fight the battles of Zion. For as I've said in former commandment, even so will I fulfill, I will fight your battles. Uh, you can think for, for, for imagery there, you can think of that storm, right? Uh, he, he protected them big time. So physically that that's, that's, uh, certainly one of the things he might mean here, but, uh, yeah, yeah, you work on you work on you. You work on your heart. You work on becoming that that Zion people according to the laws of the celestial kingdom. Uh, he said in verse five, "Work on that," and uh, I'll I'll worry about the enemies. For me, I just personally am thinking: How can I be more consecrated, and how can I be more united? First, of course, in my home and my ward and my stake. How can I be more united with my with those people around me, and how can I be more consecrated? I think if we all asked those questions, we'd be moving forward, would we, Scott, towards our goal? Yeah. Amen. Absolutely. I, I, don't, I don't want to be the one ruining the corporate behavior, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the corporate blessings. Yeah. Yeah. And John, you'll you'll appreciate a Book of Mormon reference here. Sometimes I think of it as, uh, you know, when Lehi's family, they're in the boat, they're, they're crossing the ocean. And how many did it take? How many did it take to to bring the storm? You know, there were a lot yeah. of people that were being very obedient to the Lord the whole time. Good and you get a few point. people who are being rude, a few people who are being uh, there. I don't know what kind of dancing they were doing, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, it wasn't good. Yeah. And then they're getting God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was just a, a, a small, it was Laman Lemuel and what was it? Some of the. Some of sons the of Ishmael. Son, sons of Ishmael. And sons. Yeah. And, and who paid? Everybody. Everybody, everybody paid for their... Good point. Uh, how many people does it take to uh, rock the boat, you know? Yeah. Um, it can, Lehi, it can, can we few. make a separate boat for us? <laughs> <laughs> Let's split um, the boat in half. <laughs> cut it right down the middle. Right. Sometimes that's the analogy, right? You've heard Elder Baller talk about the good ship Zion, right? The good ship Zion, that's, uh, maybe that's an analogy that, that's helpful. But, you know, uh, the Lord says, uh, there's a few other things maybe we should grab here that I think might be useful. Um to understanding the Lord's plan for that time. And then, and then maybe some things that grew out of this that would be interesting for our listeners. So uh, the Lord says for those who will remain in the region, those who are Missourians who'd been displaced, um, that they, that they should do their best to find grace and favor in the eyes of the locals. Uh, This is in verse 23, uh, 24, 25. That's the phrase. I will give unto you favor and grace in uh, that you may rest in peace and safety while you're saying to the people, please help us out. Please execute judgment and justice for us according to law and redress us of our wrongs. He says, if you can, if you can uh, do that, kind of curry favor with the locals, that will give sufficient time, verse 26, uh, for Joseph to raise an army of Israel until the army of Israel becomes very great, which he says that Joseph in mine and mine elders, verse 27, will have time to gather up the strength of my house. Now, uh, what about those? We, we haven't talked about the good guys yet. Right? <laughs> what about those like Wilford Woodruffs? What about those those people? Brigham Young, what about, Heber C. Kimball, all these yeah. guys. Come on, sign George A. Smith. They did a great job showing that they're willing to lay down their lives, right, to, to come along to Zion's camp. What about them? And the Lord talks about them in, in verse 18 and 19. He says uh, that inasmuch as there are those who have hearkened to my words, I have prepared a blessing and an endowment for them. Mentions the endowment again here. If they continue faithful, I have heard their prayers and will accept their offerings. I will accept their offerings. 
And it is expedient in me that they should be brought thus far for a trial of their faith. This was a refining even for the best of them, uh, a refining, a, a trial of their faith. And uh, and this is where we get some of those great stories, right, from uh, some of the leaders that were there. Brigham Young, for instance, someone asked him, Brother Brigham, what have you gained by this journey? And then when uh, when Brigham Young was in Salt Lake, he's already there. Uh, he's president of the church at this time. He was recalling this. Uh, and he said, I have traveled with Joseph a thousand miles as he has led the camp of Israel. I have watched him and observed everything he said or did. For the town of Kirtland, I would not give the knowledge I got from Joseph from this journey. This was the starting point of my knowing how to lead Israel. So uh, this is going to be valuable. In fact, go over to verse uh, 35. I think this, the Lord is starting to hint toward the fact that there were certain people on this, on this trip who he's about to choose for uh, added leadership responsibilities. He says in verse 35, There has been a day of calling, but the time has come for a day of choosing. And let those be chosen that are worthy. And it shall be manifest unto my servant, Joseph, by the voice of the Spirit, those that are chosen, and they shall be sanctified. He's a little ambiguous here about what he means by cho- chosen for what, right? Chosen for what? Um, but you, you both know what happens after this, right? When they, when they get home, uh, actually that next year on Valentine's Day, uh, <laughs> this is when it's time for the choosing of the 12 apostles and the 70 uh, and uh, the way that Joseph phrased the, the, the gathering of that meeting, he said, we'd like to have a meeting with all those who were on Zion's camp. That's how he, that's how he phrased it. Uh, or the camp of Israel, I think would be his phrase. Uh, and they, uh, along with others, came. And uh, he actually had those who, who were on the, in the camp of Israel, I want you to come sit over here. And those who were not, you can sit over here. And he just wanted to highlight the sacrifice uh, of those who are willing to do that. And then he said, the time has come for the Lord to, uh, to call and to choose those who have proven that they've been willing to lay down their lives for him. Uh, and then he turned to the three witnesses and said, you know, uh, back in section 18, you were commissioned to choose the quorum of the twelve. Now's the time. They withdraw uh, amongst themselves. That's Oliver Cowdery. Uh, yeah, that's Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, Martin Harris. Okay. They they withdraw, are prayerful, and they've been thinking about this ever since Section 18 was given, uh, Oliver Cowdery later says, but, uh, you know, like this, this kind of weighed on them, um, this responsibility. But this was the time they come back and they present the names of the 12. And I, I think it was, was it nine? Nine of the 12, original 12 apostles uh, were on Zion's camp. And then, uh, and then the next, the selection of the 70, how many of the, the original presidents of the 70 and quorum of the 70 were on Zion's camp? 100%. 100% of those, yeah, were from Zion's camp. And so uh, the, the three witnesses set them, the, the quorum of the 12 apart, and then the first presidency confirmed their, their calling. And so, so I, think, I think that's what the Lord is alluding to here in verse 35 and 36, that yeah, so so here, so here in section one of, I think that's what verse thirty five and thirty six are talking about, right? That this, that, that let those be chosen that are worthy. There's now a group who have shown that they are willing to lay down their lives for Christ's sake, and that's exactly the kind of people he wants 
as the leaders of the kingdom, as things get more complex, as this continues to move, as the church grows, uh, we're now we're now going to have a group of tried and true leaders, right? That uh, that will hopefully be able to bear this kingdom forward. So, so Zion's camp had that that influence, that refining influence, and, and it's interesting. That's when you, you know when you when you listen to church leaders today talk about Zion's camp, they they seem to always go there, and. Uh, you know, I, I like uh, this this quote from uh, Elder Dallin H. Oaks. He said, uh, according to its ostensible purpose, Zion's camp was a failure. <laughs> I love that. It's just like, that didn't, they did not get their land back, right? Uh, but then he said, but most of the men who were to lead the church for the next half century, including those who would take the saints across the plains and colonize the inner mountain west, came to know the prophet Joseph and receive their formative leadership training in the march of Zion's camp. Um, so good, right? Elder Bednar, he brings it kind of to our day. He says, as, as individuals and in our families, we too will be tested, sifted, and prepared as were the members of Zion's camp. Remember, not everyone came out very well, right? There were some that this is going to try their faith. And yet there's others like Brigham Young and who just... They come out shining. Uh, there's something about this crucible, right, that sort of causes people to go one way or the other here. So uh, Elder Bednar is saying that's, that's happening also today in different ways. He says, the scriptures and the declarations of the apostles and prophets do not indicate that faithful members of this church will have trials and tests removed from their lives, right? Quite, quite to the contrary. Uh, the, the Lord uh, needs to know who he can rely on. Uh, so anyway, thoughts on that uh, from either of you? Oh, I, I love that. And I think um, Hank has, Hank talked, brought this up before, um, the idea of, well, that wasn't what we expected. I think, Hank, you brought up the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Well, we had hoped that this had been the Savior that would. And I, I keep seeing parallels with that because they also thought that Jesus was a political type deliverer. And he ended up to ended up to have a much more spiritual work and impact that he had on them, and so did Zion's camp. It wasn't as much didn't end up being as much as a physical thing, as a process of becoming for all those that went on it. Yeah, it seems to be a pattern with the Lord, doesn't it? That He's got we have one intention in mind. He's got Your another expectation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he's got a completely different thing in mind. He's um, yeah, and he kind of lets us go on with our expectation. Uh, and then when the moment comes where our expectation isn't met, he says, but mine was, right? I, everything happened that I wanted to have happen uh, there along the way. If you think about Brigham and the exodus from Nauvoo and the experience he gained from this, and he's also going to be the one who takes him from uh, Missouri back to Illinois, right? When they're yeah. exiting when Joseph's from, in jail. Yeah. When Joseph's in jail. These two experiences are going to create uh, in him someone who can actually pull off the exodus of the millennium, right? Uh, and so I think the Lord has that in mind as he's working here uh, versus our limited understanding, right, of what we think we're, we're doing. Uh, so, wow. And uh, I, I okay. think it's great. That, like a moder- an application that we can all make is when our expectations are not met or we didn't, we didn't get what we thought we would get, but we can say, but what did we learn? What did we become? What did we experience? Those, those verses that you pointed out, Scott. Um, yeah. yeah. What appears, John, what appears to be a total failure to some is an absolute success to the Lord. 
Uh, and, and that can be applied in, in many different ways. When, when things that you'd hoped kind of fall apart, right? When a marriage that you'd hoped was going to continue forever kind of falls apart, or when something, you know, a career that you'd hoped was going to happen doesn't happen, you can see the Lord's hand in, in, in that particular direction for a while, uh, right? And then he says, I got what I wanted out of that. Now let's go this way. Um, yeah, you can, and you can go, yeah, and people can, and we see it, right, uh, that people can go two ways with those types of really intense life experiences. It can either make them better or it can make them bitter, right? I mean, it's, and it's, uh, you never know until the crucible uh, hits. And then, uh, so I think just having that pattern in our lives of trying to be submissive to God, do the best we can, be willing to lay down our lives for his sake, uh, having, uh, you know, just kingdom of God first in our minds. I think that that prepares us for, uh, when, when those types of things happen, when our assumptions are violated, because they will, because they will, right? Um, uh, Think one more example, end of the war chapters, where some, some were hardened because of the exceedingly great length of the war and others were softened. And it was same experience, different reactions based on what they chose internally, how they chose to take it. No, I was just going to say, I just love seeing the Lord's patience in these verses that, you know, and his, he's just so calm with them as they're, how frustrated they must be, at least some of them, and even Joseph, right? Uh, and he says, well, you've got a lot to learn. So I'm, I'm you, here for you. Do you know what else, Hank? I, I've, I've just loved experiencing this with everyone because I've sensed, especially in those latter 90s sections, how anxious he is to give them the blessings of the temple. I, it keeps coming back. I want to endow you with power. Would you, would you hurry up and do that thing? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I have a gift I want to give you, but you, I can't give it until you're ready. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then mm. I love going back to that parable that you mentioned from 101, Scott. What need has my Lord of a tower? Like, hey, what do you need that for? <laughs> why do you need a temple, right? You can give us everything without having a temple. We don't need a guy. I probably do that same thing in my own life. Why do I need to go to the temple? Why do I need to make time for that? I pray. I read my scriptures. Why do I need to make time for that temple, right? And the Lord's I'm, a good, saying, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Yeah, and what would the, what is it the Lord said in the in the parable? I got to go back. Why? <laughs> what yeah. is the cause oh, of this I, great <laughs> evil? Just do what I ask you to do. <laughs> wow, I have two two thoughts. Um, one, I want to just highlight something that uh, there's an article about this that uh, your your listeners should know about, uh, written by Alex Ba back in 2005. It's uh, on the church website. It's just called Joseph Smith and Zion's Camp. Um, let me just read the last paragraph of what he says in there. It's so good. John uh, is showing us the... John is showing it here for your the viewers. Okay. <laughs> it's so good. Uh, right. Yeah. He, he just... It's succinct. And uh, I think if you were going to teach a gospel doctrine lesson, you'd want to just read through this mm -hmm. uh, and have a highlighter. It's just an angle that uh, I think is worth considering. He talks about what did Zion's camp do for Joseph Smith? You know, we often think about the the up and coming leaders, but what about the... What's Joseph? Is he 20... 28? Oh, 28, 28 20, years old. Okay, so Joseph's Turning 28. 28. Turning 28, I think. There you go. So Joseph is 28 years old. So what did what, what about him? So here's what Alex Baugh says, and, and I, I just love Alex Baugh and can't say enough good about his scholarship on all these kinds of topics. He's so good. So he said, uh, lastly, we should not overlook the fact that the prophet Joseph Smith, as the commander, may have gained more from the experience than anyone else. Uh, 
Five years after Zion's camp, the Lord revealed to the prophet that all the trials in his life shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. Surely the Zion's camp experience was for his good. Unquestionably, he learned valuable gospel lessons about faith and virtue and knowledge and temperance and patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, and diligence. He also learned lessons regarding relationships with others, the need for preparation. You know, Joseph didn't prepare very well for this, and a lot of people suffered, including himself, uh, and the consequences of one's actions. In short, Zion's camp was an important chapter in the life of Joseph Smith that further defined and refined him as a prophet leader to the Latter-day Saints. Wow. So just a great, great statement there from Brother yeah, Bob. That's, a, that's now, a cool angle. Yeah. Now, second, second thought. How about this thought from... Uh, Elder Ballard. Elder Ballard gave a talk, let's see, 10, oh, 11 years ago uh, to uh, young adults, uh, Fireside. He said this, he said, so, so I'm going to play with his numbers a little bit because time has passed. But he said, by, by the year 2040, just 30 years from now, which would be what, uh, 19 years from now? Just 19 years from now, uh, the number of stakes will have doubled from what they were 11 years ago to approximately 6,000 stakes. And then he said to that group, that audience, you're going to be in your 40s and 50s, early 50s. And he said, now ask yourself, where are the 6,000 stake presidents? Where are their first counselors and second counselors, executive secretaries and clerks? Where are the 6,000 times 12 or 72,000 high counselors? And suppose that Every stake has an average of 10 units, about the average in the stakes today. Where are the 60,000 bishops, first counselors, second counselors, executive secretaries, clerks, elders quorum presidents, their counselors, high priest group leaders, their assistants, relief society, young women, primary presidents, and their counselors, and on and on. Where are they? And he said, I'm speaking to them right now. You are they. You are they. Will you be ready? He asked to accept the callings that the Lord will extend to you. Do not let one day go by when you do not strive to be ready to serve. How are we going to be sifted and tested and tried and prepared? Uh, I don't think we're going to be asked to walk a thousand miles or 880, right? One, one way, right? And then turn around. I just don't think that's going to happen. Here's Elder Bednar dropped a zinger. It was actually that same year, 2010, at a BYU-Idaho Education Week devotional. He said, uh, he's talking about Zion's camp. The whole talk's about Zion's camp. It's really good. He said, consider, brothers and sisters, that affluence, prosperity, and ease can be tests in our day equal to or greater in intensity than the persecution and physical hardships endured by the saints who volunteered to march in Zion's camp. So he's saying that affluence, prosperity, and ease can be tests in our day that are equal to Zion's camp. How about that? Um, and so sometimes I like to ask my students uh, just to think about that because this kind of boggles the mind, right? How could, how could prosperity try me? How could prosperity like refine my soul? And uh, sometimes I like to throw out some questions like this. I say, all right, so which test is harder? Being thrown into a prison cell or being given unlimited cell phone service. Okay, a little little play on words there. It's a little cheesy, I apologize. Okay, okay. Here's another one. Uh, which test is harder? Uh, march with blistered feet 900 miles to Missouri or walk across the street once a month to check on your ministering families for the love, right? 
I need to, uh, can I do a shout out to the Day family, who is my ministering family? We're going to count this uh, podcast the, that they listen to. All right, go ahead, yeah. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> see, see, it's never been easier. It's never been easier, Hank. It's never what been you easier. just did. <laughs> uh, okay, here's another one. Okay, which test is harder? Uh, being tarred and feathered for being Mormon, or member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, or keeping your thoughts clean on the internet? Which test is harder, being tied to a tree and whipped for your beliefs, which was totally happening to those saints in, in Missouri uh, during the expulsion, or always remembering the Savior as you covenanted to do while having TV, YouTube, and Facebook in your life? Is it easier to follow the prophet to redeem Zion, or is it easier to follow the prophet's counsel to redeem your own dead ancestors using high-speed internet uh, on your laptop in your living room, right, as you prepare to go to one of the, I mean, if you live in the Wasatch Front, many temples uh, that are that are nearby. And maybe you don't live close to the temple, and, uh, but uh, but you understand the point. Uh, which, which test is harder, uh, right? Building the Kirtland Temple in your poverty or regularly attending one of the temples in your area. Right. And, and just on and on, I mean, it's never been uh, easier, but in that ease uh, is the test Elder Bednar is saying. That's, that's a provocative thought. It's just like the, uh, just like Zion's camp. You find out it's a day of choosing, right? A day of affluence becomes then a day of choosing who, who chooses, right? Who chooses the Lord over their, over their affluence, over their ease. At BYU Idaho, I took a class from Elder Bednar uh, right before he became an apostle, and the te- the class was called "Teachings of the Living Prophets," my religion course. And the next semester, he actually became a living prophet, so that helped to kind of validate a lot of what he taught. And uh, I remember uh, we were we were studying Elder Scott. You get to study different apostles, and and uh, Elder Bednar would. Uh, he would, he would always ask us, he wanted us to ask him questions. That's how, you know, we act and not be acted upon in the learning process. And so sometimes he'd have really cool stuff to share, but he wouldn't share it unless we asked, you know, and this was one of those weeks. It was uh, Elder Bednar had just been in Salt Lake at a meeting with some of the brethren. He had just seen Elder Scott and uh, we met on Friday with Elder Bednar. And so I remember uh, we're there and Elder Bednar opens up class and he says, all right, we're talking about Elder Scott today. What questions do you have? And uh, I raised my hand and I said, Elder Bednar, have you seen Elder Scott recently? And he said, I have. I raised my hand again. Uh, Elder Bednar, what, what would you teach us? What did you, what did you learn from Elder Scott that you could teach us? And uh, he said, well, that's a great question. You know, I was actually in, uh, in a meeting with him recently. And as we were leaving, we were in the elevator. And I told him we're going to be talking about him today. And I asked him if he had any counsel uh, for my students. And he said, yes, I do. And he said, I wrote it down on this three by five card right here in my suit coat pocket. Would you guys like to hear what Elder Scott wanted to say to you? (laughs) And we're like, yes. Uh, And he said, this is what he said. I think this is pretty close to an exact quote. He said, uh, Elder Scott said to us, the students of Elder Bednar, he said, uh, "Tell tell your students that God did not send them to earth to be entertained. They are here for a much more glorious purpose. That was the message from Elder Scott. Wow. Uh, you know, I think, you know, held in reserve 6,000 years, you know, pick your favorite prophet quote of some of the, the most, you know, noble and great generation. And here we, here we are, you know, we can spend hours and hours and hours just doing nothing, you know. Uh, and, and maybe that's part of the test, right? God needs leaders. God needs people who are consecrated, people who are willing to give their all to him and, uh, and 
that's what a, with with your free time you can give a lot to God. You can give a lot to God in your free time. You can help prepare your heart. You can help. You can consecrate your mind. You can prepare yourself to be something that God can use. Someone who can be an instrument in His hands to do some things. And yeah, this is from. Uh, let me read from Elder, uh, 2007. Elder Dallin H. Oaks. Team sports and technology toys like video games and the internet are already winning away the time of our children and youth. Surfing the internet is not better than serving the Lord or strengthening the family. Some young men and women are skipping church youth activities or cutting family time in order to participate in soccer leagues or to pursue various entertainments. And then this statement I'll always remember. Some young people, and I'd say all people, are amusing themselves to death. Spiritual death. Amusing themselves to death. Yeah. Is that our Zion's camp? I guess, you know, that's Elder Bednar seems to say that that could be our Zion's camp today. Is this going to make you better? Or is it going to make you like just a lump that God can't really do much with? Right? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, we never want to be too harsh. Right. But uh, it's just more, more, I, I check myself on these things. Like, what am I doing? That could be the name of my autobiography, a lump that God couldn't do much with. That could be, <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good title for the life of Hank Smith. Um, uh, is there anything else in these sections, uh, John, Scott, before we, uh, before we wrap up? I feel like we've got some great, great content here. It's been here. great. I think everybody will have an enhanced sense of Zion's camp. Yep. I think and, so, too. And, and the it, High and Council, the, too. And the High Council. <laughs> Did the High Council get elevated at all yeah, in your minds? I, I mean, was this helpful anyway? Yeah. <laughs> they get, there's a lot of High Councilman jokes. You know, I just want to make sure that we've yeah, got... Yeah, we, we got to make sure we got we, all we, those in. We just like, you bring, we like to bring you the love of the High Council. Yeah, the stake presidency. We want. I bring you greetings and love from the stake presidency. We come in peace. Scott, we've been friends for a long time, and I know you have been studying the history of the church and the doctrines of the church. I know you said earlier, I, I'm kind of a doctrinal guy. Uh, I think that was a bit of an understatement when it comes to, if I want to know a doctrine of the church, if I'm a little bit confused, uh, I know that Scott Woodward knows, right? Like he, he knows, <laughs> he just knows. This is, he's made it his life study. So in 25, 25 years of studying and teaching, uh, our listeners would love to hear your thoughts on uh, how you feel about Joseph Smith and the restoration, the Book of Mormon, and uh, the temple, and everything that's come from it. What's it done for you? Yeah. I can't remember what I said last time, so I might repeat some some thoughts. Uh, because I think that's I still, okay. I still feel the same. I still feel the same. <laughs> you know, it just keeps growing. The, uh, you know, the the reality of of humanity is that we're complex, right? We're complex people. None of us are totally good. None of us are totally bad. Uh, we're, we're complex and, uh, we, as we've talked about today, we need time to figure some things out. And, uh, I think when you give the kind of charity to church leaders and the history of the church that we would hope that people would give to us, uh, it, uh, it's, it's the right thing to do when you study church history. It's, it's the golden rule, uh, you know, and, uh, and so when I study Joseph Smith and when I study, early church history, and I see some of the squabbles and the problems and the humanity, and we've got a quorum of the 12 apostles early on who's going to be in their 20s and 30s. They're going to be young guys, uh, and and they're going to have a lot of, they're going to have a lot of trouble uh, sometimes with each other, sometimes with Joseph. Um, and we're going to, it's, it's going to be complex. 
Uh, you're coming up here on a few sections uh, about uh, uh, the Kirtland apostasy. You're going to get up there uh, soon enough, and we're going to uh, see that, that. Yeah, there's some there's some challenges uh, in in church history, and they're always human problems, you know. And uh, I'm okay with that. I've come to a, a place in my life where I don't. I, why would I expect anything else, right? The the divinity of this work is what God can do with with weak and simple people. Uh, like I would include Joseph Smith uh, in that. He's marvelous, but he's also one of the weak and simple things of the earth that uh, the Lord likes to work with those kind of people. I remember uh, President Nelson saying when he was asked about, you know, some of the complexities of church history, it was in, a, I think it was a a news conference. And uh, I remember his statement was, yeah, you're going to find a mix of, of divinity and humanity in that. Totally. And then he kind of moved on. Next question, you know? Uh, and I, I just, I love that matter of factness, you know? Uh, yeah. And you're going to see it doctrinally. Sometimes you'll have, you'll have uh, some doctrinal errors that prophets in the past have made and, and uh, they, they get fixed and things are going to be all right. Uh, Brigham Young said, I know many times I've preached wrong, and yet uh, that doesn't make him not a prophet. Uh, I have a little uh, video, maybe I'll, maybe I'll include a link uh, in this in this uh, notes or something, just a, just a little explainer video about how to uh, become doctrinally confident and knowing that there's sometimes there's, there's, there's apostles who've said things that weren't true, and how do you work through the complexities of that? doesn't make someone not a prophet. Uh, because they've they've made errors. We saw that in section uh, 102, right? If the president makes an error, then we can call for a rehearing, and that's totally in the cards, right? So I think sometimes we bring to the table uh, some false assumptions about prophets and about church history. We want it super sanitized, and we want them just to never do wrong. We want them to be amazing, and we want to just cheer them on and 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 just be inspired by their every move, move and every word and. Uh, that's not reality, right? And so, uh, is this? My wife calls this maybe a mature testimony, <laughs> uh, where where we we kind of move past our simplistic assumptions and we can we just see things how they really are. And and to me, that's that's the miracle of it is what what God did with some twenty somethings and thirty somethings uh, in the early years of the church. What He's doing today with. 20-somethings and 30-somethings and octogenarians and the whole gamut. He's doing it with the youth of the church. Uh, we're just a bunch of simple, weak people, and yet God keeps telling us, you know, try again and uh, keep keep going. And, and so uh, I, I love I love the man that I am when I, when I keep the commandments of God, when I try to keep my temple covenants that, uh, uh, that I've made, uh, my baptismal covenants. When I read scripture, I feel profound peace and goodness and light and truth. Some scripture studies are better than others, uh, but I feel I feel consistently edified by them. And as I step back and think, you know, where did all that come from? Most of the scriptures, right, besides the Bible that we study and my temple covenants, and I mean, it all traces back to the life and ministry of Joseph Smith and what Jesus did through this week servant and. Uh, I love the Lord for it, and I'm inspired beyond words for for the gift of the restoration for the prophets, uh, with my eyes wide open to the complexities and the problems and the challenges. Uh, but for me, that just I just wouldn't expect anything else. Of, of course, there's humanity, but but what about the divinity? So I feel it's a good place. I'm very comfortable in my Latter Day Saint skin, and uh, I feel I feel like I can. Uh, 
stand up for the prophets, uh, also with my eyes wide open to, to past weaknesses or erroneous statements or whatever. And that's, that's totally fine to me. So I just have a testimony of God's work and, uh, and I, I see what it's doing in my life. And then I see what is ha- what's happening to those I love. And then corporately, right, this big picture, great things are happening right now. We're moving in the right direction. You know, the Lord's going to come and, uh, and we're refining ourselves in preparation for him to do so. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Dr. Scott Woodward. John, I'm going to look at these sections. I just, I've, I've had so much fun today uh, with yeah. the very first, uh, <laughs> with the very first hearing of the high council, uh, all the way to the end of Zion's and camp. the I just second feel like, one and the third one. Yeah. <laughs> so uplifted and, and edified and just uh, enriched. So uh, we've, it is, it's a good day. It's a good day. Um, we want to thank everyone uh, for listening. Of course, we want to thank Dr. Woodward uh, for his time, but we want to thank all of you for listening, and we're grateful for you and your support. John and I have said time and again, this nothing like this would be happening if it weren't for you who take the time to listen. Uh, thank you to our executive producers, whom we love, Steve and Shannon Sorensen, and we have a great production crew uh, in Jamie Nielsen, David Perry, Lisa Spice, Kyle Nelson. Will Stoughton and Maria Hilton. And we hope you all will join us for our next episode of Follow Him.